0: paragraph two of uh, chapter two as we're walking through and using uh, the second london baptist confession is somewhat of a framework for uh, a systematic theology and uh, as uh, as we consider uh, paragraph two we think about kind of where we start in paragraph one on the on god and the holy trinity we have the attributes of god and then last week uh, Gary was uh, teaching on the self sufficiency and and really how uh, God is not in need of anything and that 's a bit of a, a little bit of a review because we saw that in the attributes of God, but that 's one of the things uh, in a systematic theology you can 't just divide things up you 're going to see an overlap because based upon the sufficiency of scripture, we see who God is alone in the scriptures, and we continue to go back and because of who God is, we understand who we are so when we get to the doctrine of sin we'll keep coming back to who God is and so we're continuing to see uh, the truths in every way but today we're going to consider maybe a a twin truth to what uh, was discussed last week that God is self-sufficient but at the same time as he's not in need of anything he has chosen to create He's not in need of anything whatsoever and yet he's chosen to create and not just created and left it like a little clock and let it run but is intricately involved. Let's look at the whole paragraph kind of keeping it in context. Context. Speaking of God, saying God having all life, glory, goodness, blessedness in and of himself is alone in and unto himself all sufficient not standing in need of any creature which he hath made, nor deriving any glory from them, but only manifesting his own glory in, by, unto, and upon them. He is the alone fountain of all being, of whom, through whom, and to whom are all things. And he hath most sovereign dominion over all creatures, to do by them, for them, or upon them whatsoever himself pleaseth. In His sight, all things are open and manifest. His knowledge is infinite, infallible, and independent upon the creature. So as nothing is to Him contingent or uncertain, He is most holy in all His counsels, in all His works, and in all His commands. To Him is due from angels and men, whatsoever worship, service, or obedience as creatures they owe unto the Creator, And whatever he is further pleased to require of them. Well, tonight we're going to focus on that section of the paragraph that says, He alone, excuse me, he is the alone fountain of all being, of whom, through whom, and to whom are all things. And he hath most sovereign dominion over all creatures, to do by them, for them, or upon them whatsoever himself pleaseth. Romans eleven, thirty three to thirty six, has been a, a passage we've been trying to encourage to be putting to memory, and much of the the text in the the confession comes right from Romans eleven. Paul, in a a time of praise, of doxology, he says, Oh, the depth of the rich is both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor or who has first given to him and it shall be repaid to him. For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be the glory forever. Amen. We see that being the framework here. We see that upon the basis of Scripture, that God's sovereignty is over all things. That He is completely in control of all things. And why is that? We see there in verse 36. For of Him and through Him and to Him are all things. Some translations say, for from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. It kind of helps us. Of kind of says, well... What what does that mean, of Him? For from Him. First of all, we see that they are from Him. It means that, that He is that fountain from which everything flows. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 12 says, For as woman came from man, even so man also comes through woman, but all things are from God. Romans 1 is a rejection of that. We see that as man has hardened his heart, lived in sin. It's a rejection that God is not the source of all things. Really, it's a supplanting that man is the center of all things. And like that picture of a fountain, everything flows from Him. What What a beautiful picture because that is the blessing that it comes from Him. But notice all things come from Him. Secondly, they are through Him. Not just are they from Him, but they are through Him. Not just like God is some inactive creature, He is actively participating. He is an active agent, not passive. For from, it could be that He's taken and just given. That these are specifically, they are coming through Him. We're going to see the the doctrine of the Trinity in just a couple weeks in paragraph 3. But we see that in the agent of creation, God the Father is the agent of creation. 1 Corinthians 8.6 Yet for us there is one God the Father of whom are all things and we for Him. But not just God the Father being the agent of creation. We also see Scripture teaching us that God the Son is the agent of creation. The second half of First Corinthians eight six and one Lord Jesus Christ through whom are all things and through whom we live. I know a a passage that I think uh, maybe was just a, a, a blessing to many as we went through the Behold Your God series, the Colossians one, the beauty of the glory of Christ in Colossians one. For by him are all things; all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. What's left in that list? What's outside of that list? Nothing. Nothing. John 1, 3, all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. See, sometimes we can build a false doctrine if we just take one verse. We can say, Jesus was the only agent of creation. Well, no. The triune Godhead is. God the Father, God the Son, and we see the God the Spirit. In Genesis 1-2, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And you might say, okay, the Spirit was there. But all of Scripture, Job 33-4, the Spirit of God has made me And the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Psalm 104.30, the psalmist says, You send forth your spirits, they are created, and you renew the face of the earth. That life comes from the Spirit. And God is quoted in Genesis 1, Let us make man in our image. That the triune God had the agent of creation. Millard Erickson says it this way, It was the Father who brought the created universe into being, but it was the Spirit and the Son who fashioned it. While the creation is from the Father, it is through the Son and by the Holy Spirit. It's a way to try to put it into a context we might understand, but anytime we put words to it, if, it doesn't quite fit. But notice, all things are from Him and through Him, but why are all things existing? If you know the, the Westminster Catechism, the first question, what is the chief end of man? What's that question or the answer? To glorify, God and to him, yeah. to glorify him and enjoy Him forever. Elijah, why did God make you in all things? For His glory, For his glory Yeah. He makes all things for His glory. That is, that's the purpose. That's the end goal of all things. We see in Ezekiel 36, verse 22. God says, Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake. Now, is there a byproduct of the blessing of God? Absolutely. But what is the chief purpose of God's work? It's for His own glory. 1 Timothy 1.17 Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, to the God who alone is wise. Maybe we should write a hymn. with uh, Be honor and glory forever and ever. Where does glory go? To Him. Jude 25, often we use as a Benediction To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Revelation 7, 12, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might, be to our God forever and ever. Amen. What has been created for His glory? All things. Not just part, but all. Do you realize that the wicked and the elect are both for his glory? That's where we start to kind of wrestle a little bit and say, how does that work? But God is glorified showing himself as the righteous judge and showing himself merciful. A number of years ago, I remember... MacArthur coming to the Master's College, preaching a sermon entitled, The God-Centeredness of God. Think of that. The God-Centeredness of God, that all things were created for His glory. And we may want to say, hey, that's being a little egotistical. Well, egotistical is thinking greater of ourselves than what we really are. Can God think of Himself greater than He is? Because he, he is worthy of everything, of all praise and honor and glory. But notice that as the confession states that God is the fountain of all being. And he because He is the fountain, He is the, the, crea- the creator of all things. What does He have? He has the most sovereign dominion over all creatures. Because of who he is, because he has created, therefore he has the right to do by them, for them, or upon them whatsoever he pleaseth. Since he owns it, he can choose to do what he wants. We often wrestle with this doctrine, yet we don't wrestle with this doctrine upon our own possessions. I am the master of my possessions. I get to do with them what I please. But God, you don't own me. You see the heart problem there? That's the rejection. We do not not start with God and understand that he is the creator of all things, that he has made all things, and everything is for his glory, for him to use as he sees fit. Turn with me to Romans 9. My Bible seems to open up to Luke. We see again the confession stating that God is able that He hath most sovereign dominion over all creatures to do by them, for them, and upon them whatsoever He pleaseth. And Mr. Powers brought Romans 9 up a a couple weeks ago. And we're going to see this more in uh, chapter 3 of the confession on the decrees of God. But upon these statements, I I think the argumentation that Paul gives here in Romans 9 is good for us to help just kind of lay these foundations. Romans 9... you see that God is using the Gentiles. There's a, a hardening of Israel. And then the, kind of the question becomes like, how does all this work? And Paul says, we're kind of jumping in the middle of it. Verse 12. It was said to her, the elder shall serve the younger as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. We read those words, and it's like, well, no no big deal. But in the Jewish culture, that was shocking. That God would choose Jacob the younger and pass over Esau the older. And so the question comes up in verse 14. Paul asks it, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? What does righteousness mean what what does righteousness mean that he always does what is right and Paul in one of the strongest ways you can in the Greek certainly not may it never be God is not unrighteous to choose Jacob over Esau then he gives the reason verse 4 15 or or an example for he says to Moses I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion the context of that is God choosing the nation Israel he chose the nation Israel not the Moabites not the Amorites not any other nation he chose them why because he chose them there was nothing he saw in them Just like God chose Mary to to be the agent to bring forth God the Son. It was not in her own value. It was in God's grace. That's why she can say, my soul magnifies the Lord, for he has seen or he has done great things in me. It was not her. But God is righteous to do it. And he gives his mercy to whomever he sees fit. Verse 16, so then it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. Then he continues to bring forth the same argument. For this very purpose I have raised you up about Pharaoh, that I may show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in all of the earth. See that theme again? God raised up Pharaoh. Why? That God's name would be praised. That God did it. And because God is the sovereign creator of all things, verse 18, He has mercy on whom He wills and whom He wills, He hardens. But then the question in verse 19, why does He still find fault? How can we be responsible? What's His answer? Who are you to ask God? Kind of a humbling position to be put in. Again, God's answer is, or Paul answering on behalf of God, how is the creation to ask that of the Creator? And then he used the picture of the clay and the potter. I mean, how ludicrous is it? Or even Jennifer, your painting to start talking to you and to say, I don't want to be a painting of a little tree, I want to be a painting of an ocean. I mean, we, we laugh because that's just ridiculous, but that's who we are. We are God's creation. And we must humble ourselves before Him. But we don't humble ourselves, be, be loathsome, inconsistent, egomaniac, but a perfectly just and loving God who is all knowing and all powerful and all present that it's a great comfort that we understand that even though as God can do whatsoever He pleases from or unto them and to them, meaning to us, that God can be trusted in that. It's not our position to ask. And Down in verse 22, in verse 21, the argument kind of becomes that the clay doesn't say, why am I this or why am I that? For it is the from one lump, verse half, second half of verse twenty one, from one lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor. What if God, verse twenty two, wanting to show His wrath and his, and to make His power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for dis, for destruction and that he might make known the riches of his glory on vessels of mercy, which he had prepared beforehand for glory. Notice it is not upon the value of the vessel. It is upon his own free will of choosing how to use it. Why? Because he is the creator of it. And we see that he is not just the creator of some things, he is the creator of all things. And God has the authority over all things, to do with it whatever he wants. Yes, this is a big doctrine to get our minds around. And the hardest part is there's a lot of emotion tied to it. Well, what about this and what about that? But let me just encourage you something that I've been challenged with over the years. God is either completely sovereign or not at all. There is no in between. For if God is not completely sovereign, then why do we pray? If God is not able to save, that it's completely based upon man's choice, then why pray to God? If we're going to hold that position, say God is not sovereign and don't pray. And therefore, therefore, we have no hope, but because God is the sovereign creator of all things, he is completely holy, perfect, righteous. All those things that we have seen, he is that in his creation and to or he is in that as a creator to his creation in all areas. And we have a God who is in control of everything. Everything. Because when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you need a God who is in control. Not one you're wondering, does he have the ability to do it? For that is a blind faith. But that's not the faith of scripture that we see. He is sovereign over all things. And in doing so, the opposite of Romans 1 is to humble ourselves before that sovereign God. To recognize that he is the creator and we're the creation. To seek to use our lives for His glory, not for our own. But to know that we can trust Him. We can trust His ways because He is all of those things, not just part of them. You See, the sovereignty of God over His creation should be our greatest comfort when things don't make sense that we can hold on to it's also one of our greatest reasons to glorify him and to say Lord use me as you see fit to take whatever things I have in store for my life and to say Lord use me as you see fit because knowing the greatest thing that the creation can do is to give glory to its creator how are we doing in that? I mean are are we fighting against his sovereign will to use us as he sees fit instead of submitting to that and finding joy in the things that he has designed? His ways are good. We can trust him, and we praise him for that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, just a, a reminder of your work, that you are not a God who is far off, but that you have drawn near. Most of all, you have drawn near in the person of Christ, Lord, that in him we have hope. Lord, we come to you confessing that we are finite beings and that we continue to dip our toes in the the ocean of of who you are. And Lord, at times the awe and wonder of you overflows our minds as it should. And at times we're left kind of grappling uh, with understanding who you are and as you've revealed yourself in your word, Lord, we continue to ask that you would help us To a human ability to understand you in a better way. Lord, that it wouldn't just be information that's in our minds. But Lord that the truth of who you are would change who we are. It it would change the way that we live. The way that we speak. Lord help us we pray. Lord forgive us for our small views of you. And may you grow in our minds more and more. And may the truth of that be lived out in every moment of our lives, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.